In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. I promised the now Father Henry Stephan, <clears throat> who was seated over there just a few minutes ago, that <clears throat> if he, he could count on us praying that he persevere and remain faithful as a Dominican priest until death, and if he doesn't, he can be assured that I will hunt him down and kill him. And I said that after remarking truthfully that the Dominican ordinations, like any other ordination, remind me not only of, the, of my great friends in this fraternity, whether it be the Dominican priests of the Eastern Province or on June 9th when we have ordinations for the Diocese of Arlington, it always inevitably reminds me of those men who were ordained who are no longer with us, who deserve um, a special place in our prayers. Those, those thoughts should, should give us reason to be adamant about being that much more faithful. They should cause us sadness because God's will has been, has been rejected. And because the church is less clearly the bride of Christ. It's very, it's very fashionable nowadays to, to try to get some kind of moral or spiritual authority or even just some kind of street credibility by making reference to the sins in the church or the corruption in the church. I would encourage you to, to go out of your way to listen to Protestant preachers times, whether it be for a oral wedding or for other occasions, because there are, there are habits of speech that ha- may very well have become commonplace for us that are just that much more obviously inappropriate when they, when they come from someone who is not in full communion with the church. And so the casual way that people make reference to sins or corruption is something that um, we should do so only for, for the very specific reason of, a, of acknowledging someone's pain and praying with them and praying for them, but never, but never to do so in a way in which we're, we're simply saying it so that People can believe that we are um, that we're not carried away by the the mysticism of the church, or that we're not carried away or ignorant of the uh, of the harsh realities that people suffer. There, there, there's something. It's hard to pinpoint the exact um, reason that it's so outrageous, but but Catholics who are who are very concerned about our shepherds and the state of the church should speak about sins and corruption away, which is radically different, radically different from those who want to embarrass the church of Rome.
what you may have heard if you listen to some of the recording or the live broadcast, I'm not sure why you would get up that early, uh, of the royal wedding, you, will, you may very well have heard something without recognizing um, how... how unchristian the sentiment is. Something very familiar. It's the notion that when people really love, then the world will be recreated. When people decide to love God and obey God, then the world will be made new. It doesn't, at the face of it, it doesn't even sound that strange. Of course, as, as people, as more people believe, as more souls love God and obey him, the world will be a better place. Our homes will be happy. Our neighborhoods will be safe. Our, our, our countries will enjoy tranquility. There's something different something altogether different. When you hear someone say that, and it's clear, that they actually intend to witness in, in this lifetime the perfection that will only exist in heaven. There's, there's two grave mistakes that are at work, and they, they need to be acknowledged quickly so that we can return to, to honoring the actual event of Pentecost and glorifying and worshiping God as he deserves. One grave mistake, the first one, is, is to fail to recognize that the church was established by Christ on Peter. He, he spoke of it in the future tense, super hank petram, edificabo ecclesia ma'am, and he established the church with the gift of the Holy Spirit, whose arrival, the clothing with which they were told to anticipate and wait, and only thereafter would they go out into the world and make disciples of all nations. This event of Pentecost is indelible. The church is permanent. The church exists. The church is visible. The miracles of God are poured out on the world. It wasn't some sort of down payment. Pentecost wasn't some some precursor to that great moment when God's will will be done when people really start to believe, when people really start to respond to his grace. Now, we have sympathy. Whether it be for non-Christians or or non-Catholics, when they 
when, when someone sees God, they expect to see holiness. When someone witnesses the works of God, they expect to see miracles. And when they don't, they find alternative explanations. Maybe that person didn't really believe when they got baptized. Maybe they need to get baptized again. Or maybe what God said about the church wasn't really going to be about an institution the way I would have thought of church. Maybe it's something more ambiguous. We can't blame people too harshly for coming up with alternative explanations when they don't recognize the holiness of the church. And it should, and it, it does, and it should cause us great, great suffering and turmoil and sadness when we know we've been part of someone not being able to believe or not believing anymore or caving in, taking the easy way out. The second mistake is just that much more obvious. That when we're, when we're dealing with someone who is preaching about the immediacy of uh, all the fulfillment of God's promises, we, we know we're dealing with a Marxist. We know we're dealing with someone who doesn't see goodness coming from God, but, but just simply coming from uh, human labor that's been arranged to, to suit their ends. And it, it, for a hundred years, we've, we've struggled with recognizing it, but it should be just simply plain as day. When a Christian says that their burning passion is something other than grace, um, salvation, heaven, um, conversion, um, when, when a minister doesn't say that his burning passion are the sacraments and, and, and the salvation of souls, then, then we know we're dealing with something other than a Christian. It shouldn't surprise us too much when we, when we look at Catholic cathedrals um, in which Catholics were murdered hundreds of years ago. It shouldn't surprise us, but it does. It should cause us to be sad. God did not intend the church to be divided. God doesn't intend families to get split up. God does not intend for us to fail and to defect and to despair. And so today, we have to rejoice with all the more devotion. Because Christ really is truly among us. He remains with us. He speaks through his church. He anoints and he consecrates through the hands of his ministers. He absolves. And he marries by the power of the voice of those who speak on his behalf. 
He does make holy. He does sanctify. He does rescue us from sin. He does give us a share in the life of heaven already. And not simply when we are nostalgic for what Christians used to do, but when we, when we acknowledge what, what God is doing through us now. And this, with the same zeal that, the, that Peter and the apostles had almost 2,000 years ago, let us be eager to rescue people from the slavery of, of, the, of the world, the slavery of their sins, the slavery of their selfishness. Let us offer them a, a completely new and better way of life that they don't have to earn because Christ has sacrificed his body and on the cross for us. And then recognizing that the enduring temptations and that the fact that the world is still fallen, then we, we find the ways to encourage each other, to encourage the brethren that, that are beginning to falter, to encourage them in prayer, to encourage them in virtue, to send them with that much more determination to, to live out their vocations faithfully. And when it's our turn to suffer, to do so joyfully, knowing that all suffering has, has value, can be offered up as a, as a beautiful sacrifice. And when, when suffering is, is removed from us, that we, we, we give glory to God and we know that some great purpose is at work here to which I must be attentive rather than thinking that we're, we're just simply lucky or fortunate or God just simply wanted us to have a break. As Christians who have been baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit, we see everything in a new light. And our time is short. And, and our efforts are feeble. So we ask with these great and ancient words for the Holy Spirit to come visit us. Page 809. On the facing page. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Creator, Spirit, come visit the souls that are yours. Fill with heavenly grace the hearts that you created. You are called by the names of Paraclete, gift of God most high, spring of life, fire, love, and the soul's anointing. Seven gifts are yours to give. You are the finger of the Father's right hand. You, the clear promise of the Father, give men's tongues the grace of speech. Kindle a light in our minds. Pour love into our hearts and uphold with your unfailing strength the frailty of our human nature.
nature. Drive our enemy far from us and give us always the gift of peace. So may it be that with your grace ever guarding us in this way, we may avoid all that is sinful. Grant that through you we may know the Father and the Son, and may we ever believe you to be the Spirit of both the Father and the Son. To God the Father be glory, to the Son who rose from the dead, and to the paraclete for all ages. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.